Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the Budapest Beacon podcast. I'm Ben Novak. Today we'll be speaking to members of Hungarian civil society, people who work for organizations caught in the crosshairs of Hungary's rabble-rousing Prime Minister Viktor Orban. Last week, Orban addressed a gathering of party apparatchiks in Budapest as part of his 2016 year-in-review speech. Orban didn't really say anything new. He went on and on about Hungary being this incredible success story, but he said that Hungary is under attack from everywhere, the Western liberal order, the EU, and civil society. For the purposes of today's discussion, we'll only deal with Orban's statements on civil society, and we'll be speaking to people from Hungarian NGOs to better understand how they see the crackdown on organizations critical of the government. That's Prime Minister Orban, and you're listening to the part of his speech where he addresses civil society. Orban says that the efforts of these, quote, international organizations are intensifying, end quote. He says that they secretly want to influence Hungarian politics with foreign money. These organizations, he says, have paid activists in offices in Hungary. He then describes billionaire investor and philanthropist George Soros as a, quote, large predator swimming in these waters, end quote, and proceeds to accuse Soros and these organizations of being in cahoots to import hundreds of thousands of migrants into Europe. Orban says these NGOs are trying to steer the Hungarian government and the Hungarian parliament off the course set for the nation by the Hungarian people. It's nothing new. We, I think we are getting used to being agents of foreign countries or foreign people, business people. George Soros is attacked by the Hungarian government in the last, I don't know, five, six years. So it's nothing new. Maybe, maybe the intensity of this attack is is something new for us, but, but the merits are the same in the last few years. That's Dalma Dojcak. She's the director for the free speech program at the Hungarian Civil Liberties Union. The intensity she's referring to is the intensity of the Hungarian government's rhetoric towards NGOs and to organizations that have received funding from George Soros's Open Society Foundations. Some members of Hungarian civil society, like Sándor Lederer of Kamonitor, an organization that monitors corruption in Hungary, where Orban's attacks is a badge of honor. So uh, I think these organizations can really feel honored since we're like really small groups. Some of us have five people, maximum 20 people, the bigger ones. So I think it's really a David and Goliath game where, you know, our role being little groups um, from civil society exposed as, you know, enemies of the state. This is something very funny. And I think this also shows that um, the whole um, issue is quite about creating an artificial enemy that you can fight in your communication games. This is, I think, um, part of the um, political game and of the communication battle Viktor Orban does for years now. There's something else that Orban mentioned in this speech. When addressing civil society, he opened by saying that Hungary's national elections would be taking place in 2018 and that these NGOs are trying to influence Hungarian politics. Aron Demeter, a human rights expert with Amnesty International's chapter in Hungary, says this may likely be a foreshadowing of the government's strategy in the upcoming election campaign. 
there was a clear indication that it's going, going to be the part of the election campaign uh, because he clearly mentioned that the election is coming up in 2018. So at, for at least me, it means that uh, civil society will be actively targeted during the campaign. And I think this is basically the free phase of, of that campaign. Orban's accusations of NGOs about the amount of power and influence they wield and his government's efforts to put them in the political crosshairs are part of a much larger grand scheme, so to speak. Andras Kadar, co-chair of the Hungarian Helsinki Committee, a human rights organization, says that when looked at more broadly, these attacks on civil society are simply part and parcel of Orban's takeover of Hungary. As Dharma said, this is nothing new. I mean, Orban said the very same thing practically in 2014 already, in the summer of 2014, when he said that uh, these fake um, civilians are actually paid mercenaries of foreign political interests. I think the attack on, on NGOs is, is, is a very logical step of a process that started in 2010 when this government uh, gained like this constitutional supermajority and then started to kind of eliminate or weaken all the checks and balances to executive power, starting with state institutions, the constitutional court, uh, and then going on to the media first uh, attempting to regulate the media in ways that uh, would have weakened its, its control functions. And when it didn't really work, then they just bought it up. And I think the NGOs fear human rights NGOs, environmental NGOs, are basically the next sector where you have entities that exercise a certain kind of control. Although, as, as Shani said, this kind of control taking into account the power situation, the human resources, is not as big as it is suggested by the prime minister. So is George Soros really the main benefactor of Hungarian civil society? No, he's not. It is important, however, to note that Hungary does not have the kind of middle class that exists in the West, as for example in Germany, the UK, or the United States. George Soros' foundations have been active in this region for a long time, even before the fall of communism. In fact, Prime Minister Orban and numerous members of Hungary's ruling party, Fidesz, can thank Soros for the scholarships they received to study abroad at a time when leaving the bloc was virtually impossible. But returning to civil society, the lack of a middle class and virtually no culture for grassroots philanthropy means that since the democratic transition, NGOs in this region have depended on large institutional donors to support their work. Dalma says the Hungarian Civil Liberties Union would continue to exist if Soros's foundation stopped providing grants for their work. My organization would be around. We just reached the goal of of pushing down the the uh, financing coming from the the Open Society Foundations to a level that is not uh, vital anymore for our organizations. We can we can go on without uh, the majority of our funds being provided by this organization. But but I think it's a it's a trend in Hungarian uh, civil society to to try to be more independent from from either George Soros or his foundation or those uh, big international donors and uh, gravitate towards uh, small donations coming from private people, especially Hungarian private people living in the country and being interested in our work. But other organizations have a completely different model for fundraising. Adon tells me that the last time Amnesty International Hungary received funding from George Soros was for a summer camp. 
Uh, Amnesty's uh, position is quite uh, unique, at least in Hungary, because our fund, uh, the majority of our fund is coming from the international movement, uh, which is paid by private citizens from all around the world. Uh, we cannot take any funds for our campaigning work. The only thing that we can have uh, foreign funds or any funds is the human rights education program we, we do. Um, Amnesty Hungary received a uh, fund from the Open Society uh, in 2013 for a school camp, and that was the that was the last time that we that we received any any fund from from there. So we are basically not funded by Soros. Andras Kandad also says that his organization would continue to be around if funding from George Soros's foundation stopped. In fact, he goes into a bit of detail and shares with us how this funding actually works. There's a general rule, as far as I know, uh, by the Open Society Foundations that the maximum that they pay is like thirty percent of, of a given NGO's total budget. So there is a restriction, self-imposed restriction. Uh, in the case of the Hungarian Helsinki Committee, it is about 30 percent. The rest of our funding comes from the European Commission, from the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, uh, British private fund. We also try to increase our efforts to um, get donations from private people in the Hungarian society. So uh, we would be around, definitely, but there is, for instance, one very important element of our operations that would be very difficult without uh, shorter support, and that is uh, litigation and legal assistance provided to private individuals. So in the Hungarian system, indigent people have relatively poor access to justice in the sense that it's very difficult for them to get efficient legal assistance. We have a human rights legal counseling office uh, where it is provided to relatively large numbers of people. In a given year, we provide with legal advice and in some cases representation up to 3,000 people. Uh, they would be without a legal assistance when it comes to police brutality, when it comes to uh, prison conditions. So there is a segment of our work that would become very difficult or which we ha would have to limit if there was no funding, but we would definitely be around. Shandor Lederet of K-Monitor says essentially the same thing. He doesn't think his organization would just up and disappear if Open Society Foundations stopped providing them grants. Look, K-Monitor was founded as a grassroots initiative, so for years we operated without any funding. Um, um, of course, the support from open society is, is important uh, to us. The one-third limit also applies to us, so we have always uh, other fundings and other funders as well who support us. So I think we would uh, definitely survive uh, without the support of, of uh, open society, although it's an important, um, important help because there are quite a few big donors around in this region. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in, in Hungary, the, um, 
the way how let's say in the United States people support civil society by micro donations and in certain campaigns that's not that typical now it starts you know lots lots of NGOs start to 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 have uh, fundraising and crowdfunding campaigns but this is rather new in Hungary um, especially in this field so uh, um, of course it, it, it is important to have the few big donors around but I think uh, we all would manage um, because the work that we do is is essential and important but if we move away from the larger institutional donors and from micro donations what do we have left in between you have businesses and more affluent individuals Shani tells me it's quite hard to get them to support this kind of work in Hungary I think it depends on uh, what you're doing. My experience is that in Hungary, individuals or organizations who could uh, give you uh, larger sums of, of money, bigger support, they're not that active. And I think it's partly because the lack of um, maybe this habit or culture of, of uh, donating to such causes. And the other thing is that um, if when we asked companies or, or richer individuals to support us, most of them said um, because the, the, the field of operation that we have that um, they don't want to get into trouble. They don't want to get, you know, the tax authority investigating their companies or, or if they have contracts with the state and they get no procurements anymore. Then from your organization is an anti-corruption or corruption monitor. Exactly. So if they see that you're affiliated or you're supporting government critical groups, um, that can be dangerous for you um, when you get in any interaction with the government. Dalma says that in 2013, the Hungarian Civil Liberties Union really pushed for cultivating individual donors. She says it's really working out. The donors aren't all rich, but they regularly support their work, and every little bit helps. The HCLU also hosts fundraising parties, but these parties are limited to Budapest. They do try to open up to other major towns and cities across Hungary. This also means they have an opportunity to better showcase their work outside the capital. Dalma does admit, though, that doing fundraising for anti-corruption work like that of K-Monitor can be quite difficult. Fortunately, we are in, in some ways in a better position than, for example, a K-Monitor, which is really politically um, sensitive in some ways. Corruption is always a hot topic politically. We, we not only uh, cover political freedoms, but we also uh, deal with the with rights of, for example, the uh, disabled people or, or the rights of, of the Roma or, or drug users or other, other groups of the society that are somehow vulnerable. And, the, and they try to take these messages to, to those peoples or to those donors that we think that would not be interested in donating to causes like anti-corruption or, or freedom of the media, but would be interested in helping, for example, uh, disabled children who, who won't have the necessary um, education from the state. So we can also uh, we can also uh, segment the Hungarian society by by these standards. As you've just heard, it's not like these NGOs are drowning in money. 
But returning to Orban's speech, believe it or not, his rhetoric seemed toned down compared to statements he and other leading government officials have made in the past. Most recently, Fidesz politicians, including party vice president Silad Nemet, have called for employees of NGOs to submit asset declarations if their organizations receive funding from abroad. These types of administrative hurdles are becoming commonplace strategies in countries like Russia and Israel, but they are new to Hungary. So how do Hungarian NGOs feel about the increased rhetoric against their work and the additional administrative hurdles being levied upon them by the government? How do they interpret these messages? Andras Kadar of the Hungarian Helsinki Committee tells me the message is clear. NGOs are doing what they're supposed to be doing. One message is that we are doing our job, you know, well enough. Like human rights and anti-corruption, it's, it's, it's all about controlling state power protecting the individual against the state. So I think it should be painful for the state to some extent what we do. But I mean, it has been what, or it is what we have been doing for years and years uh, under governments of, of different color. So, uh, so one thing that I feel is that, you know, we must really do our job properly because you know, it's so painful for the the authorities. Uh, the other thing is 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 a bit of rage, I would say, because uh, this takes time, lots of time away from what we are supposed to do. So while I'm reacting to Mr. Nemeth's, uh, you know, ridiculous, you know, charges and innuendos while I'm talking to the journalists about these things, I cannot really talk about the things that that, that is our core mandate. I cannot talk about, you know, asylum seekers, protection of, of, of people in criminal proceedings and so on and so on. And, and, and I mean, this is my biggest fear. So if this kind of rhetoric comes to action, like investigations, which did happen, all of these investigations in the Norway fund cases were, you know, just stopped and dropped, no charges were pressed, like all the organizations were cleared from all uh, suspicion and charges. It takes awful lot of time for the organizations to comply with the authorities' requests, to, to, to produce the documents and so on and so on. And if nothing else, this makes life and work very difficult and it takes away the time from, from the important causes. Aaron Demeter of Amnesty International agrees. Exactly. I mean, I think that's basically the two reasons why the government uh, are running this campaign, this anti-NGO campaign. One is basically to discredit the work that these NGOs are doing and saying that, you know, this is, is done by simply because George Soros asked these guys to do it. The other is that uh, while we are occupied with uh, with investigations or reacting to, to Nehmet Szilard in the media, we cannot do our jobs, we cannot criticize, we cannot publish reports, we cannot go to the TV or the radio and say that, look, the government is violating uh, their rights. So it's like basically occupying with us with things and, and we, we cannot do what we're supposed to do. At one point in the conversation, Andras Kandad expressed some outrage over this government's duplicitous behavior towards the NGOs, specifically when the government alleges that the NGOs are being politically biased. He mentions TUS, that's the Hungarian acronym for Dalma's organization, the Hungarian Civil Liberties Union. What is really outrageous, and I understand that politics is not about, you know, 
always about reason and and equity but i mean i remember we all remember when these very same politicians appraised you know what Das was doing in in 2006 and quoting come on we were representing orban in court yes <laughs> you were representing orban in court we were representing victims of 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 the police attacks in 2006 and we were quoted at length by Fidesz politicians in, in Parliament when, when it was about criticizing the socialist government. And I mean, it really is crazy that they, they don't see that the tide may turn. You know, there may come a time when they will be in opposition and they will again, well, I don't say need, but I mean, I think, uh, you know, opposition inevitably needs uh, the work and 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 uh, the the opinions of these organizations, because this is our job to criticize the government, irrespective of what political party is in power. But for all the concern about the lack of rule of law in Hungary and the squeezing out of independent and critical voices in media and civil society, if the state can protect itself and its own interests using the vastly powerful state institutions, who then can protect the NGOs if they are the ones being targeted by the state? Just imagine, in 2014, Viktor Orban himself personally ordered that NGOs that had received funding from this EEA Norway grants program be harassed by various state organs. So far, like we launched lawsuits against certain Fidesz politicians and Fidesz itself concerning some defamatory statements about us being, you know, uh, agents of foreign interests. And we won those cases, the in the Norway um, investigations, the courts did deliver some really brave judgments. So it's, I think these institutions still function to some extent. The question is when you have like a real surge, a real attack, whether they will also hold their ground. And well, finally, there is the European Court of Human Rights, of course, so you can take the cases outside Hungary. This takes a very long time, and I wouldn't count on Strasbourg to, to, to protect us when it comes to, you know, a kind of really serious struggle. But actually, actually there's an obvious uh, protector that we could mention, but we, we didn't mention, is the European Union. And I think there's a, there's a reason behind of that. Uh, the Norwegian fund comes from a European Union agreement, and we really looked at uh, the EU bodies to, to intervene in a way uh, when in, back in 2014. But I, but I have the feeling that because of the, of the political nature of the European Union and, and the lack of independent bodies enforcing legislation in the European Union, we cannot really count on the EU to, to save us in situations like that. Perhaps the most alarming aspect of Hungary's crackdown on civil society is that it is all taking place against the backdrop of a vacuum left in the absence of a functioning opposition. So on top of the day-to-day -day work these NGOs do, these NGOs have absolutely no way to translate their own professional recommendations into policy proposals for the national government. I think that that's 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 a big problem, and I think that's a good question because um, civil society's role is not only criticizing the government. Of course, it has a quite strong uh, control role, 
but it is uh, or at least i consider our role also as as uh, as as organizations that can cooperate with the government with local governments um, in making uh, policies better and just to say an ex example so we were always open to to work with the government in certain issues especially transparency uh, accountability anti-corruption so today I, I i had a phone call with a guy from the croatia's public procurement authority about how to what IT tools you can use to monitor uh, corrupt procurement. So imagine that, that, that the, the, the Croatian government is open to talk with the society, even from other countries, to, to, to gather best, best practices in this, while the Hungarian government is, is not reacting on any kind of attempts that we do in, in um, you know, helping them or assisting them in doing actually their job so it would be their job to protect public funds from being stolen but um, the whole system is, is so disturbed that actually they the main drivers of corruption so of course they won't uh, talk to us it's much easier to say we're just their enemies and we want to you know uh, crash them down or whatever uh, so they have to fight us before 2010 my colleagues are are telling me these stories that they went to the parliament on a weekly basis to consult with politicians, either opposition or, or uh, government side, and they were invited to committee meetings and they submitted uh, advice and papers to the to the uh, members of the parliament. Now we are not even listened to when we go to a, a committee meeting, and we don't really go anymore. We we don't even have the opportunity to tell our our ideas there, and the only only. Um, way to communicate our ideas is to is to sue the government is to sue the 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 politicians or the public um agents and we and we are not invited anymore to to advocate for better policies the only way to enforce better policies is to is to go to the courts i i have a mixed i mean there is this very schizophrenic situation in the sense that we have this kind of rhetoric and we have and, and it comes from the prime minister himself. At the same time, at least in with regard to the Hungarian Helsinki Committee, there are still areas where we have relatively good cooperation, for instance, with the justice ministry when it comes to a criminal procedure. So like very uh, strictly professional issues which are not highly politicized. So even within the two pillars of the Helsinki Committee, asylum, immigration or migration on the one hand and criminal justice on the other, these are two different worlds. I mean, sometimes we can still consult, sometimes our opinions are taken into account. So I mean, it's very difficult to decide in a situation like this when you have attacks from the highest levels and at the same time you have cooperation in important uh, issues from lower levels what your whole approach to the government should be so in in, in that sense we are in a, we live in a crazy time it's totally absurd that you have ongoing relationships with let's say the middle or the policy people uh in some areas uh with quite good cooperation for years and um Ten minutes later, you hear the prime minister saying that you are the traitor and the enemy of the state. So it's like it's like very weird to to live. So basically, there is this professional level which uh, sometimes functions, sometimes don't. But usually, there is 
there's some kind of cooperation and also there is uh there there are let's say the verbal or the narrative side of the story uh, for us it's easier that despite amnesty hungary is a very small ngo uh we have like the international part uh, so our messages and our efforts are kind of echoed um, worldwide. So so basically we have uh, the reasons and the means to to put out our uh, uh, messages. But at least for us, who is not doing legal representation or or, or other court work, for us media is is still basically the major partner. Uh, where we can put pressure on on governments, not just the Hungarian, but but on any, any other. But speaking of the role of media, that situation isn't looking too good either. Since the 2014 Norway grants fiasco, the media environment in Hungary has become increasingly consolidated by pro-government forces. Oligarchs are buying up outlets left and right, and the mainstream media is being used to run hit pieces on opposition figures in civil society. So I ask my guests to explain how that affects their ability to continue their important work. Does this media environment have a chilling effect on the NGOs? Worried, yes, but chilling effect, no. I mean, that's, I think, part of the job. And uh, like the founding chair of Hungarian Helsinki Committee started human rights work in 1977, or even, you know, earlier than that, during times when the personal stakes were much higher. So I think when you become like a human rights activist, this this is something that you have to, you know, count with. And if I, if it had a chilling effect on me, then I should really start to think about looking for another job. Because, and 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 when I get really frustrated, I try to remember that. There were people, and there are still people in Russia, in the Ukraine, who are doing this job under much more difficult circumstances. Even when you cope with the personal personal pressure, then they can do a damage on the institutional level. They can they can undermine a character, and they can make donors or possible donors individuals to turn away from us. They can scapegoat us uh, for those people who who were not familiar with our work before, and especially outside of Budapest is still uh, one of our major problems that our our stories are are not close to the lives of the of the everyday people of Hungary. And if they are told in the national television, the public television, that we are evil people helping other evil pe- evil people occupying Hungary, then they will believe that, and we will. We won't be able to to counter this message on on the internet or in in the, some of the media outlets that still um, portray us in a in a credible way. Yes, it's very important that I think media is a very important channel for us to reach out to people. And if there's no free media, I think we just lose this channel. Of course, everybody starts to be stronger present on social media, but it can't completely substitute regular. Uh, media. The other thing is that I think that one of the biggest assets of, of NGOs is their credibility. And, um, and um, you know, if there are um, all these surveys looking um, on what groups and the society have great trust, civil society is, has still top levels, while politicians, parties are completely at the bottom. 
So it's obvious that that one of the goals of this government is to ruin our reputation and 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 try to show that you know we we are biased, we are bought by certain interest interest groups, we're unprofessional, and creating this kind of image. This is also a danger, I think. The the media space uh, is definitely shrinking. And the problem is that there are still channels where you can, you know, echo your message. Uh, but the, the fact is that basically you reach every time the same people uh, who kind of agrees. So it's very hard to to reach new audience and, and tell other people what are you actually doing. And it's funny that at the same time, the international press is is more aware. And at least in my work, I experience uh, a bigger uh, appetite from from outside of Hungary about uh, Hungarian issues. So it's it's interesting that, for example, for me or for Embassy Hungary, it's easier to talk to the Guardian, for example, than to some some Hungarian press who is here. So so f- for us, it's easier to put out pieces and, 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 and interviews internationally than, than, than in many cases than, than in, in Hungarian uh, channels. And also you can't compete with the coverage of the, of the Hungarian national media, the national TV and the national radio. So yes, there are channels, but basically these are Budapest-based <laughs> and reaches fewer people than, than the others. So how do these organizations see 2017? What are they counting on? Will this latest attack on civil society escalate to the same we saw in 2014 with the Norway funds fiasco? Yes, it may come to investigations. I'm pretty sure that if they come, they, as in the, as in the case of the Norway grants, they won't find anything irregular. But as I mentioned beforehand, uh, they can use up much, very much of our time. So what we can do is we try to increase our compliance in all areas, labor law, tax law. I mean, we try to get things in order to prepare for such uh, attacks. But even if we do that, it, it, it might cause difficulties because we cannot do our, our job. Let me cl- clarify one thing regarding one of the top arguments that Orban and also previously you know, Lazar had regarding NGOs about our transparency. So one thing is clear. Currently, those NGOs that are targeted are operating much more transparently than this government. So you can see if you go on any of the websites of these NGOs here present or, or most of the Hungarian NGOs, you will find yearly reports where you can find all the funders of these groups. So we everybody exposes who are the big donors, where money comes from. So there's nothing to talk about. And asset declarations are absolutely not the right tool to you know um, uncover any kind of influence. Would you imagine that in my asset declaration you would see hundred thousand k personally given by George Soros? Do you think he personally <laughs> gives me money, and that's why? I'm I know, but now that you bring it up, I yeah, yeah, I think you will. You might see it soon. <laughs> <laughs> I asked my guests whether any of them had any idea how this asset declaration law would actually look, and uh, Adon gave me a very surprising answer. I, I raised that question exactly yesterday to the State Secretary of the Ministry of Justice. 
uh, that what will happen to to NGOs or the the executive of of the NGOs if they don't comply with the law, and he said that uh, he doesn't know uh, because it's too early to speak about sanctions, and also I asked that whether it will be the same as with the politicians that basically nothing happens if you if you don't fill out your declaration, uh, but he said that there's no uh, no plan so. Uh, I had the sense yesterday we were speaking about this uh, this attack on the NGOs that so far it only exists on on the political communication level and nothing has uh, uh, written down or, or or the for example the Ministry of Justice has no idea uh, what to do and how to amend the the law on the NGOs so. For this year, I expect that this kind of communication will continue. And you know that even I highly doubt that any NGOs have anything to to cover, but you can always put bureaucratic burdens on, on NGOs. So it will, you know, take up their time to to fill out new <laughs> registration forms or, or any kind of forms. I, I'll expect that uh, they will keep continue to do it because they can't let it go they announced it several times and i expect them they trying to make our life as hard as they can because we don't really know anything about the government's plans to make ngos more transparent i asked my guests how long it would take for the legislation to be proposed and adopted whether there's any social consultation involved in this they can do that in a week if they want to or they can do it in a few days. So we have examples when they have put out a document for public consultation for a few days. Um, and afterwards, the final version that they uh, brought to the parliament completely uh, differed from the one that was out for consultation. So so uh, I think that, that that's uh, not really relevant. I think the question is... Um, I think I think the question is much more about communication since you know this as a declaration system that we have s several ones we have ones for MPs we have from local politicians we have for all kinds of uh, decision makers at at uh, government level but one is one thing is clear that that these um, asset declarations if they follow the pattern how it's um, practiced with politicians it will have absolutely no effect. So if they find something that I forgot to, I don't know, write something in my asset declaration, um, I get an announcement, I, I, I correct it, and then it's fine. So that's how it works now with the MPs. I'm pretty sure that they're going to be tougher <laughs> on us than on Hopefully. themselves. So yeah. I guess it's, it's, it's a pretty good example of double standard. I'm, I'm quite sure about that. Yeah, but, but coming back to what Aaron said about and it, no part of the of the proposed law being written down and and I I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen in the near future either so so it's not about amending the law it's not about making us doing doing anything differently it's about scapegoating us it's about putting us in the in the spotlight and blaming us for problems and if they fi will find someone else to be blamed for the problems then we will be dropped so we cannot really foresee what is going to happen in the next few months not to tell about the next few years if they have a good enemy they will fight an enemy. If it's the civil society, then we will be fought by the government. So it's let's hope for another enemy. Yeah, let's <laughs> hope for another enemy. <laughs> like a new wave of migrants oh, yeah, might save yeah. us. 
So that's it for this week's edition of the Budapest Beacon podcast. If you're interested in reading more about these organizations, please visit their websites. For the Hungarian Civil Liberties Union, go to tasz.hu. For K-Monitor, go to kmonitor.hu, all in one word, no dashes. For Amnesty International Hungary, visit amnesty.hu. And for the Hungarian Helsinki Committee, please visit helsinki.hu. Thank you.